0: Today's episode is brought to you by Mom Boss Marketing.
1: Are you tired of the endless struggle of creating the perfect resume? Do you find yourself lost in a sea of words, not knowing what to say or how to phrase it? Or are you wondering what experience to include on your resume and what to leave out? I understand, and I'm here to help. Hi, I'm Jennifer with Mom Boss Marketing, and I have over 15 years of corporate experience in HR finance, and project management. I know the ins and outs of the job market and I'm here to make your job search easier. My professional resume service tailors your experience to the job you want using the language employers love to hear. I understand the systems in place that read and process your resume and I'm here to ensure that your application stands out from the sea of others. But here's the best part. It's not just about getting the job you want. It's about the confidence that comes with a well-written resume in your back pocket. Contact MomBoss Marketing today, or look for more information in today's show notes.
0: Get ready, get comfy for the next Nonprofit Insider Podcast episode. Welcome in everyone to another episode of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. I am your host, Swim Kareem, and this is episode twenty-nine, our final episode of the year. We are coming up on the one-year mark. One year in uh, March, so that's when we have the one-year anniversary. But this is episode twenty-nine, and this is the final episode of twenty twenty-three. And wow, what what a what a journey to go through twenty-nine episodes. Appreciate you all for rocking with us. If you've been with us for some time or if you're new, we love having you here as an insider. Listen, we we, we have a great episode today. And what a great way to start it off, right? <laughs> uh, last episode, episode 28, I talked about nepotism in the nonprofit space. So what better way to end our 2023 year and what better way to transition from that episode than by having my son... My eight-year-old son serve as the intro. So big shout out to him. It was so good. Uh, he he always asked me a lot of nonprofit questions because he's just in that realm, right? He's in that space with me. So he asked me a lot of questions about dad, are you getting more podcasts? Are you getting more sponsors? You know, XYZ, XYZ. So excited to have him serve as the intro. Listen, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on TikTok and on Instagram. I'm I'm messing around on TikTok a little bit more. Messing around on TikTok a little bit more. Uh, so follow us there at The Nonprofit Insider. We have the links in the show notes. That'd be really good. And, and I want to give a big, big shout out to all 10 people that reviewed my podcast. One of my goals this year was to end the year with 10 uh, podcast reviews. And, and look, on Spotify, you can't do comment reviews, but on Apple, you can. And so it was just so nice to, to be able to get that 10th one uh, earlier in the week. So big shout out, 10 reviews. Just just really just so excited. So we appreciate it. Uh, listen, we've got a good episode here. We're going to talk here in about three, four minutes about recent DEI. Uh, For those that don't know, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, even my girlfriend didn't know what that means. And she's kind of, she does a lot of work and research in, in the space of a lot of different marginalized groups. And she was like, well, what does DEI stand for? And so I know that's something that a lot of corporate folks, if you're in the corporate space or certain nonprofit space. You know a lot about DEI or D-I-E, depending on... Oh, Actually, no, it's not D-I-E because that always oh, spells die. I always get that wrong. But D-E-I. So we're talking a little bit about diversity, inclusion, e- equity, all the things that come with that. Some recent news out of Oklahoma and the defunding of that. So we'll talk about that, and how that affects the nonprofit space a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome in the nonprofit space. We've been on the world talking about nepotism, talking about getting fired, talking about performance improvement plans, all the things that come in the nonprofit space. So we have to talk about imposter syndrome. So that'll be in our main segment. And then in the final uh, couple of minutes, I want to share one of my own personal nonprofit horror stories. And this is one that's a little bit more touching. Um, I kind of, I was like, you know what? I could talk about the time I had seven interviews for a job, which was one of the most fucking frustrating things I've ever experienced. But I was like, you know what? (laughs) as we end the year, cold weather, there are a lot of people that are experiencing really tough times right now. I have a story about the time I was working with a volunteer that ended up becoming homeless. I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit at the final aspect. Um, Again, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok. You can find us on Apple, you can find us on Spotify. Let me see. Is there anything else? (laughs) um be sure to check out the show notes we got a lot of good links we got look a lot of good sponsors a lot of good affiliate links in there and we have episode 30 dropping the first i you know i might do it i might take a little bit of a break i'm not even gonna lie here i'm i was looking at doing january 3rd as the next episode i might wait and do the first episode january 10th and i'm gonna do a list episode if you've been listening to this podcast for some time you know i do not do list. So whenever you talk about twenty-four things to look for in twenty twenty-four for nonprofits or top five ways to change your nonprofit social media, I don't know marketing. I just don't do lists. I, I, it's just not for me. I know a lot of people that do lists, and I think as I get more and more in the nonprofit space, I might end up doing them more. But for me, list is just something I've never really been interested in. But as you know, every tenth episode, so episode ten episode 20, we did list. And so for episode 30, we're going to do another list. So be sure to check out some of those previous episodes. I think that's it. Let's get to it.
1: Hey listeners, it's Jennifer again with Mom Boss. Do you know what a digital resume is? Imagine this. Carrying your work experience and expertise via a QR code on your business card. Stand out from the competition and propel yourself into the digital world when you network at hiring events. Your potential employers can simply scan your QR code, instantly accessing your comprehensive resume. This is the future of job searching. Let me help you land a job you're happy in, boosting your earning potential and providing you with a modern and innovative edge. Contact Momboss today and let's build your future together. Visit our website at www.mombossmarketingabq.com or find us on socials at Mombossmarketingabq. All
0: right, so over the last few days, I've seen a lot of posts and a lot of commentary about what's happening in Oklahoma. And so for those who don't know, um, I guess the governor of Oklahoma, his name is Kevin Stint, basically signed an executive order taking away a lot of DEI uh, efforts in public colleges and universities. And look, we don't talk a lot of politics or anything like that. Um, but I found it very interesting because, I, one, I have a close connection with Oklahoma. I, I was actually technically married in Oklahoma. <laughs> so my ex-wife was from a town in, uh, in Kansas. And one of the things in Kansas is when you get married, they have like a three-day wait. So you sign, you register with the state that you're getting married, and then you have to come back three days later to say, you know, hey, I approve this. And I think there's there's a lot to it in terms of just making sure that people actually want to get married and not doing it like in Vegas in Haste. But in Oklahoma, you can just get married that same day. So we actually went to a city in Oklahoma right across the border called Newkirk, Newkirk, Oklahoma. Uh, we, we were married on a Wednesday in like a, a more informal fashion in Kansas on Wednesday, drove across the border on Thursday, signed the paperwork in Oklahoma, and then we left on Friday to, to back to, to the East Coast because we we're living in the East Coast. So I, I keep up with a lot of things that are happening in Oklahoma. And when I saw that they were having this DEI thing and that the governor's basically taking away a lot of DEI programs, I was like, you know, what, this has a lot of connections to the nonprofit space. And one of the most interesting aspects of Oklahoma, which for my money has the worst roads anywhere that I've ever driven in America... Some of the worst worlds are in Oklahoma, uh, but Oklahoma, as we know, has a deep history as it relates to the relations of Native American and indigenous groups, the great pushing uh, of many indigenous uh, tribes, groups, communities to Oklahoma during the times of Manifest Destiny. A lot of us know a lot about that, but it's interesting because Oklahoma, in the same fashion of lots of areas of the of the of the South and of other uh, states like Texas is and Florida is and things like that uh, are really pushing back on a lot of DEI measures. And so when looking at this order, um, this is from, let me make sure I have my my facts here. Part of this is from the the Guardian and part of this is from PoncaCityNow.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but the order prohibits, basically prohibits the prohibits state funds property or resources being used for DEI initiatives in order for them to dismiss non-critical personnel. Uh, it's effective immediately, but these universities are not expected to comply with it until May 31st. So basically, if, if you have a public university, you cannot use the funds or the resources of the university in these particular instances. Uh, we're going to start seeing that kind of take face May, May 2024. And I found this interesting in Aponka City. It said that uh, the order's executive, the the governor's executive order signed this week, requires all colleges to report their DEI spending by May 2024. And State Superintendent Ryan Walters called for a similar report in January of that of this year, requesting the last decade of DEI spending from the Oklahoma State Regents for Higher Education. Uh, the regions complied with the request and submitted a report that showed less than 1%, less than 1% of state and federal funding supports DEI. They estimated $10.2 million in DEI spending for 2023-2024 fiscal year, with $3.4 million of that amount coming from state appropriations. And this is something that actually uh, this is a conversation that you're seeing a lot in the nonprofit space, because there's a lot of nonprofits that have their own internal uh, diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion programs, and a lot of nonprofits that do work on universities, that do work with corporations, that do work as consulting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that are doing a lot of these types of um, measures with a lot of different entities all, all throughout the United States. And it's just so interesting that in 2023, the University of Oklahoma budgeted $2.2 million for diversity and inclusion, and 1.4 of that was going towards faculty and staff. You hear that a lot. There's a lot of complaints that a lot of the money that's used towards DEI is just used towards staff members or six-figure accounts. That was something that was in Governor Stent's uh, message. And look, I'm going to say all that to say this. One of the big reasons why we have housing law discrimination uh, or housing discrimination laws, one of the reasons we have uh, hiring or labor practicing laws is because there are a lot of groups that feel uh, rightfully so that they're not being a part of the process uh, when, when it comes to the exchange of money and power across the United States. And a lot of DEI programs do that. And there are a lot of nonprofit entities across the nation that, again, have their own nonprofit uh, DEI programs or do work with the development of other programs for other nonprofits or uh, organizations and groups, NGOs, etc. And when, when you look at the fact that the University of Oklahoma football coach Brett Venables is paid $1.23 million a year on average, and then only $2.2 million per year spent on DEI. That, that just shows you that there's a lot of aspects to this that come into play of we spend money on things that we deem worth it. And a quick in-house correction, University of Oklahoma coach Brett Venables actually makes $7.25 million a year, not $1.25 million a year. And I'm here to say that when it comes to DEI programs, I believe they're worth it. And a lot of nonprofit organizations that have them um, are using them as a way to bring on people. Because if I have, if I'm a renter, and I'm doing this right now, where my brother and I, we have a house in Philadelphia that my mom passed down to us. And so if we say, you know, we want to start renting to people, but we don't want any veterans, that's a form of discrimination, right? And one of the things I think gets lost in a lot of the DEI conversations is that there's this idea that uh, individuals of certain race are excluded, right? But with DEI, the big thing is if it's done right, and there's always going to be moments of neglect or misuse, whatever the case may be. But with a lot of DEI programs, the whole idea is to bring people in and spread the power and the resources around to make sure no one's missing in the equation. So for my money, for my uh, opinion, I think a lot of states, uh, Texas, Florida, and in this case, uh, Oklahoma, I think they've missed the mark. And I think there are a lot of people that are in positions of power that are not able to truly understand the power of a lot of DEI programs for the betterment of society as a whole. You can't see this right now, but I'm actually drinking a cup of tea. Lemon ginger tea, to be exact. (laughs) And and whether I'm podcasting or reading a book for our rapid fire books selection, I like to have a cup of tea from artoftea.com. Artoftea.com is your one stop shop for all things tea related. Now, for me, I like a good caffeine-free tea, so their Pacific Coast Mint Tea and their French Lemon Ginger Tea, it hits the spot. In fact, I'm I'm drinking that right now. But they have a well-crafted selection of matcha, chai, iced, and holiday teas that are oh, so good. And right now, ArtOfTea.com has a divine selection of gift box teas, perfect for the tea drinkers in your life whether they are aficionados or just starting off in this realm. And for our nonprofit insiders, because you are an insider, jump down to the show notes to get 10% off your next Art of Tea purchase today. You've had some of the rest. Now try one of the best. Click the link in the show notes to save 10% off your next tea purchase today. If you haven't already, be sure you're following me on TikTok. Be sure you're following me on Instagram. Uh, I've been recently taking the time and just posting some videos where it's like, hey, I want to talk about something. Should I talk about A subject or B subject? And I did that uh, about a week ago where I was like, you know what? Should I talk about nonprofit imposter syndrome or performance improvement plans or PIPs? And overwhelmingly, people said, listen, you got to talk about nonprofit Uh, Imposter Syndrome. And big shout out to Relatable Nonprofit. They're on Instagram at Relatable Nonprofit. They're in the show notes. I'm going to put them in there. They have a really good program. They got some really good stuff going on. And they were definitely the tipping point where it was like, hey, what should I talk about? And talking with the two people that run that account, they're like, yeah, you got to talk about Imposter Syndrome. So one of the things I think that really is at the top of people's minds when it comes to a lot of aspects of understanding mental health. It's just having a more unified common language that we all know. And when it comes to things like dealing with anxiety or ADHD or dealing with even like depression, right? That's a term that's been around forever and ever. And I am no psychiatrist or specialist, so I'm not even pretending to be. But when we have an ability to identify what We're feeling and name what we're feeling. It just it just makes it so much easier to talk about other, uh, or to talk to other people that are experiencing those things as well. And one of the things with imposter syndrome in the nonprofit space is that it can show up in many many environments. It can show up in many different people. It can show up in many different ways. And, And so I want to start here in terms of the definition because. Right now, at this moment in time, uh, imposter syndrome is not an official diagnosis. And so if you look at various councils or associations, and this is why it was so hard for me to determine or define a definitive definition of what it is, uh, because there isn't one, because it's not recognized as an official diagnosis. But from... And I want to make sure I have this right here. This is from the National Institutes of, Institutions, excuse me, of health.org. And they have a really good definition. And I think it's kind of like what's similar with nepotism, right? We can all define it differently, but for the most part, we know what it is. And according to the National Institutes of Health, imposter syndrome is a behavioral health phenomenon described as self-doubt of intellect, skills, or accomplishments among uh, high-achieving individuals. And and I'll take it a a step further. I don't even think it has to be among uh, high-achieving individuals. I think many of us have this. And and how you define high-achieving or success is is something that only you can define. But it doesn't matter if, if you are in mechanics, if you are in landscaping, if you are in construction It doesn't matter what you're in. If you have a desire to see something at really high levels and you have pride yourself on on taking uh, yourself and your skills to, to a higher level, then you might have bouts of imposter syndrome. And like I said, one of the things with imposter syndrome, it can show up in many environments. The earliest track that I see or that I've seen a lot of people experience imposter syndrome, high school and college right if you are the type of person you live in uh, rural Idaho, or if you live in the, the upper echelons of, of Manhattan of Manhattan, you can experience, and a lot of people experience imposter syndrome first starting at the high school level. And for me, I really, really saw it once I got to college. That's the portion, the portion of life where you see a lot of people that go into uh, secondary education. They're looking to become lawyers, doctors, uh, theater majors, English majors, whatever the case may be. Economics, like myself, right? You're getting into banking, whatever the case may be, and they can feel like there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of competition, and college was the first era where I saw a lot of people say, "Hey." Uh, I want to be ahead. I'm using this opportunity to go to another level. And so high school, college, you see this in education, government, you see it in dating. I'm dating all these people and none of these people are working out. Is it me? You see it in men. You see it in women. You see it in people that are young. You see it in people that are old. It's one of the few things I see in all types of individuals, regardless of background, And when when you think about the aspects of what imposter syndrome looks like, a lot of the definitions that I've seen says it's something that's internal. It's something that is usually on the inside out because it's something that you feel. It's something that you, you believe. But even as an internal ordeal, nonprofits, if you work in a nonprofit space, nonprofit forces are at play. And there are a lot of parts of the nonprofit space that can help when it comes to imposter syndrome. Like with anything, if you work in for-profit or if you work in government, it's the same thing. And with a lot of nonprofit structures, it can either help you or it can hurt you. And we've talked about this to many different degrees and many different levels. The nonprofit space Has a lot of factors that are very, very specialized to this particular sector that causes aspects of imposter syndrome to really run rampant. And look, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this until this podcast is dead and buried in the ground for a decade. The pay structure of a lot of nonprofits are not advantageous to reducing the amount of imposter syndrome that we see in the nonprofit world. Point blank, period. I don't need to hear any arguments. it's it's fucking established the amount of of pay and benefits that we see in a lot of nonprofit industries is just not good and you can see imposter syndrome i I see a lot this in academia and education where if you are a teacher and you've been a teacher for you know three years five years 10 years 15 years and you're fighting it's super funny because i remember the last big teacher strike was in oklahoma we talk about oklahoma a lot funny enough Where the last big teacher strike that I recall was in Oklahoma because teachers are saying, I'm doing all of this work and I'm not getting compensated for it. It's taxing, it's emotional, it's draining, it requires a lot of energy and yet somehow I walk away and I can barely afford my bills and I'm on the state's um, welfare plan because I make so few money. So pay is a big aspect of the nonprofit space, and you see this in other parts of the world. You see this a lot in for-profit, so the nonprofit space is not immune to it. You also see a lot of aspects of imposter syndrome in the nonprofit space in the way that the structure of nonprofits and the way that they get money. And here's some psychology for you. If you have to continuously quote-unquote, beg individuals for money, and that's what the nonprofit space is, right? If you have a 501c3 and you have a public charity, you the way you you obtain money to keep the lights on is a lot different than if you work at Petco.com, right? They are trying to offer services and products that allow for your pets to do better, so that's how they get money, right? They, they shave your pet, they provide neuter and uh, vaccinations, they spay to neuter your pets, they provide them with toys and you know all types of services and insurances. And so you pay money for those services because you believe it betters your life, right? It's, 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 it's a little bit more direct in terms of, hey, I'm offering you something really, really cool that directly benefits you. In the nonprofit space, we can go to a lot of entities with money Whether it's Petco.com Foundation, whether it's Home Depot Foundation, whether it's the... I'm trying to think. Whether it's the Jay Kellogg uh, Foundation, Ford Foundation, whoever, however you get the money, or just individuals like you and I trying to part ways of $100. Hey, we're doing a service and it doesn't directly benefit you, right? You give me $100,000 and I don't turn around and give you a service or anything like that. Maybe you can use my nonprofit's name in commercials, maybe you can use our uh, image and likeness and uh, various reports to show your shareholders that you're doing good, but the benefit isn't directly to you. And so there's a psychological aspect of being in a nonprofit space where you are going to individuals, organizations, foundations, you're asking them for money, and that can cause many aspects of imposter syndrome to sneak in because. It's, it's just a little bit of a different aspect. And so I think that's something that a lot of people in the nonprofit space may not realize that because of just the way you even get money, that, that can affect a lot of aspects of imposter syndrome. Talent in the nonprofit space is hard to come by. And a lot of nonprofit organizations, some knowingly and some unknowingly, do a lot of hoarding of talent. And one of the things is if you are a nonprofit and you have something that's, you have a person that's really good, really high level, and you can't pay them really well, uh, you can't give them the best benefits, you can't give them the best uh, structure, you can't allow them to work from home, whatever the case may be, you can in turn hoard a lot of nonprofit uh, leaders that should really be going on the greener pastures. (laughs) <laughs> and there's a lot of aspects of being in a nonprofit space where you can be like, listen, you're all I have. You can almost guilt trip a lot of nonprofit workers. Hey, don't go to that organization because if we lose you, you're all we have. And, and, and so a lot of parts of the nonprofit space can be, hey, just making people ideally feel good. But there are a lot of nonprofits, they're in a scarcity mindset. And so I think there are some things that nonprofits have an obligation. And I'll repeat that. I think there are some things that nonprofit organizations uh, can do and have an obligation to do for a lot of their team members and staff members. And one of the big things is allowing those nonprofit workers the ability to actively look for other opportunities that can fill in a lot of gaps with pay, with benefits, uh, just with things that allow their lives to be better. And if you are a person that you're an executive director... You're a person in the nonprofit space for that does I don't know financing or whatever the case may be. It's it's almost shameful how few times nonprofit organizations push their nonprofit leaders and team members to find greener pastures and work for other organizations. I think there are a lot of aspects where nonprofits need to offer more trainings, more extra funding for. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The ability to go out and do conferences, to do trainings. Because if you have a, a nonprofit organization that is designed in a way that the people that are working for your nonprofit not only feel good, but feel like, hey, I'm not limited, that can help in a lot of aspects of imposter syndrome. And this is something that I've been experiencing lately where I'm looking around, I'm in the midst of a midlife crisis, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? What am I doing? What is all this bullshit? <laughs> and there's aspects of when you're in the nonprofit space where you can go, "Gosh, I'm just not making as much money. I'm not doing as many things as people in other aspects of the for profit space that are very unique to this world. So I encourage a lot of nonprofits to just continue training, Uh, Allowing for growth, allowing for development, because it actually is something that is very unique to the nonprofit world and it's something that we need to really get away from. All right, time for our favorite segment of every episode, time for our nonprofit horror story. And this is our final nonprofit horror story of 2023. And I was like, you know what? We've had some really good stories. Uh, I'm going to compile a lot of those for our one-year anniversary in March. So I think that'll be an exciting time. But uh, I said, you know what? I need to end with a story of mine. I need to end with a story of mine. And this wasn't even that long ago. This was maybe in the last three years because this was around COVID time. So I don't want to put too much out there. But one of the things when you're in a nonprofit space, you work with a lot of volunteers, especially if you're at a 501c3. Uh, if you're at a public charity, you can rely on on volunteers to really help push the mission forward. Whatever your mission may be, whether you're helping individuals, healthcare, children, animals, whether whether you're a church, you know how important people are. And that's one thing I, I love about the nonprofit space. I love the focus on people. We're not perfect. It's not perfect. There are many, many aspects of nonprofit space. I really go oftentimes, what the fuck? (laughs) A lot of times. But one thing about the nonprofit space is if you are able to surround yourself with good people, that's usually the focus. And that's not to say if you're in the for-profit space, you can't surround yourself with good people and love it, but we know what it is. In the for-profit space, if you sell jewelry at Zales, if you sell computers at IBM, you're trying to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in the nonprofit space, you work with a lo- you can work with a lot of volunteers. And I r- remember one time I was working very close with a volunteer, a very good volunteer who I've been working with for years. Trusted this volunteer, this volunteer access to my credit card uh, funding. I mean, we were we supported this volunteer, and I supported this volunteer because they provided a lot of great value, and they did some really good work. And I remember um about six about, after about the span of like six months i just wasn't talking to this volunteer as much and the, the projects i had them do they could do anywhere 100 virtual they could live in cancun they could live in sweden they could live in new york toronto they could live anywhere and they could do this job it, it was really one of those virtual things but you know the old russian proverb right or proverb trust but verify And even if you've been in a relationship with someone forever and ever, whether you're dating, whether you're a business partner, whether you're an employee, whether you're a volunteer manager, whatever the case may be, you can trust, but there are going to be moments where you need to verify and just kind of check in. And I was checking in. I just wasn't talking to this volunteer as much. I wasn't hearing from this volunteer as much. I was like, you know what, something's up. So I'm talking with this volunteer, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, are you still doing the things you do?" And and they're like, "No, I, things kind of got a little crazy, and uh, they live in a, a part of the world that's a, a, very expensive." And they're like, "Yeah, things got a little crazy, and I'm trying uh, to find places to live because you know, my, my my parents, my mom was sick, and you know, this, that, and the third, and I was taking care of them." So listen, I get it. Life comes at you fast. I know how hard it can be and again with the economy and inflation things are just tough so i was like yeah no problem like if you need more space i can have other people do it and they're like no i want to continue doing it i want to stay with my commitment to what i said i was going to do i just need a little bit more time need more more flexibility no problem no problem month pass two months pass and same thing like i'm calling the 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 people in the the the, the the people that are in this particular realm, I'm, like, following up, like, hey, like, is this person still doing what they should be doing? And the short answer was no. So, you know, like I said, four weeks passed, six weeks passed, eight weeks passed, and I've reached back out to this volunteer. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm hearing things that, that the, the work that you said you were going to do hasn't been done. Is everything Okay. And it wasn't one of those things where I was like mad or frustrated. It was just like, you know, I've been working with you for a long time. Like I know your work. What's going on? Like is, is if there's something that's happening in your world, let me know. And this kind of goes back to imposter syndrome we were just talking about where we can have a sense of who we are and we hold ourselves to high standards, all of us do. Whether whether we know it or not, whether we're a BMX biker, or we are a, I don't know, a mechanic. I've been using that a lot. It doesn't matter. We can hold ourselves to high standards for things that we say we're going to do. Our word is very, very important to a lot of us. And so I said, you know, what's the deal? Like, I just, things aren't getting done. Is everything okay? And she finally had basically confessed slash admit it. She said, yeah, things got really rough. I'm, I'm living in my car now. I'm living in my car. And I kind of had a feeling, you know, that it was kind of things were not going the way they wanted when it comes to to the economics, because again, they live in a part of the U.S. that is a very expensive part to live. Renting and housing is expensive, and it's just one of the. It was like one of those moments where, again, I wasn't even like I wasn't mad or anything like that. This person is down homeless. This person is down homeless you know they're living in their car you wouldn't know right they're working they're working in government they're doing some really great things on the outside but at the end of the day they're sleeping in their car and it's just it's it's really shameful and that's the only word i can really use it's really shameful that as a society We have gotten to a point where so many of our friends and our neighbors are without places to lay their head at night. And I, I, I say that because I, I think there are a lot of aspects of homelessness that, listen, I am not a professional in that space. I've been in a nonprofit space forever, and I've only done a little bit of work with homelessness. Back when I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, I did a lot of volunteering with Homework Bound. And I think they do still do amazing work, although I haven't been connected with them in 15 years. And they did a lot of work as a resource center to, for mail, for phone calls, um, for food, coffee. This serves as a really good resource for a lot of individuals that are homeless. And again, I haven't taught or worked with them in years. So they, they've they probably switched up some of the things that they've done and, Even then, it was really, really tough, but it feels like there are more and more people that are just slipping through the cracks. And we can blame a lot of entities for this. We aren't taxing uh, corporations enough. That's always one you hear. We're not building houses enough. Uh, People are having a lot of children, right? There's just a population growth. There's a lot of controversy and conversations around that. But at the end of the day, we're all to blame. And we all participate in the hypocrisy that comes with something like homelessness because whether we think it's it's a factor of environment, spacing, desires, capitalism as a whole, we all participate in it to some degree, right? We all do. And there's a lot of aspects of I'm looking out for myself, When you have merit increases, hey, I'm trying to get the most for me because everyone else trying to get the most for them. There's aspects of loss of community in a lot of respects, but we're all to blame. And it's shameful. It's it's shameful. And it's one of the few moments where I was thinking, like, I don't even know how I can help this person. I've worked with this person for six, seven years now. You know, I've come to know this person intimately in a lot of aspects of being in the nonprofit space. And yet they do not have a bed to sleep in at night. As we look to 2024, there's been a lot of conversations with people that I, I've had a lot of conversations, as I say, with people in the nonprofit space. And you remember we had our first guest, Emily Cronin, she was on the call uh, or not on the call, but she was on a, a guest on uh, one of our episodes. And I've had a lot of people that have sent in nonprofit horror stories. And one of the things is I provide every person the ability to share one thing that they want to share with our, our audience. And over and over and over again, the thing I hear from so many people, and I'm starting to catch wind of this because I, I get it now. I get it. A lot of people will say, you know, honestly, Swim. The message I'd like to give to your audience is please be kind. We are all doing our best. This is hard. There are a lot of aspects to life that you you think it's going one direction and then it goes another and not in the way you, you fashion. And being kind is something that you like to say it's easy to do, but when you have stressors in your life, when you have things in your life that aren't going the direction that you thought they would go, it can be, it can feel hard. And so for me, as we wrap up the final episode of 2023, and I think about this volunteer who I've worked with forever, who now is living in their car and I feel almost powerless to help. I'm not sure what I can do. It's... It, 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 it it's a guilt and it's a feeling that can really grapple you in so many ways. Please be kind to one another. It's one of the few things that doesn't cost a lot. It's one of the few things that it in comparison to a lot of other aspects of life is easier to do um, because kindness can really go a long way in trying to help your neighbor, in one way or another where you can. That's the message I'd like to to do as we wrap up the, the first year of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. I love having you as an insider. Um, there are many times where I'm like, gosh, I'm doing this podcast and I have imposter syndrome. I, I shouldn't be talking about this. I shouldn't be doing this. No one's going to listen to me. But if you are listening to this, whether you are one of our you know 1,000 people that listen every month, or this is your first time listening, or this is maybe this is your last time listening, maybe you're not going to listen anymore, whatever the case may be. Please be kind to one another. This world can be very tough, it can be very grueling, and we appreciate everything that you do for the world if you're trying to make it a better place. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, be sure to follow us on TikTok if you can. Leave a review. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. We will see you in 2024. I think the next episode is going to be January 10th, and that's going to be our list episode because every 10 episodes, I do at least one list. So we'll see you in 2024. Take care. Before you get out of here, let me tell you about my friends at Red Rock Roasters. Founded in 1993, Red Rock Roasters is a family-owned, multi-generational coffee speciality store based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they have such good coffee. They have an Ethiopian coffee called Sand Hill Winter Blend that smells absolutely divine. And the taste... It's the holiday season, and let's be real. Getting gifts is hard. Getting coffee... Now that's easy, but only if you get it from the right place. Follow Rut Rock Roasters on Instagram, link in the show notes, or visit them at RutRockRoasters.com. They have a wonderful selection of coffee, accessories, and merchandise you simply cannot lose on. And best of all, free shipping with a $50 purchase. So you can get your neighbor, your friend, or your favorite nonprofit work bestie a bag of coffee and get you one or two as well. No coupon needed. Don't waste any more time. Head over to Red Rock Roasters today to get your perfect cup of joe. Details in the show notes.